Amen. Good morning. Thank you for having me this morning. It's really good to be with you. Um, it's actually been a really long time since I've been in a church sanctuary with any people. <laughs> so this is kind of a different thing, and it feels really good, and it's good to see all of you. Um, I am a third-year seminary student. Uh, I thought it would take me about four years, but recently I decided I think five sounds okay. So um, that's kind of the five-year track for me. Um, I've lived in Grand Rapids ever since I graduated from Calvin College about oh, a little more than 20 years ago, and um, live here with my husband and three kids. And um, yeah, seminary was kind of probably something I maybe knew longer than I want to admit was coming, and now here I am, and it feels really good. Um, this morning, we're going to read the story um, that was already read for us. We're going to go to turn to Scripture and read first from Mark. Mark chapter 1, verse 9 through 20. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. At once, the Spirit sent him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness 40 days, being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals, and angels attended him. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. Time has come, he said, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once, they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little farther, he saw James, son of De Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat, preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. And then, just to fill in the details a little bit more, we're going to also read the story from Matthew. Matthew chapter 4, starting at verse 1. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift up their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put your Lord the, God, Lord, the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and angels came and attended him. 
and then jumping down to verse 17. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. This is the word of the Lord. Last Sunday morning, just two days after Christmas, I was taking our dog for a walk in the neighborhood. It was fairly early, at least for a weekend, and I was reveling in the peaceful quiet. A woodpecker somewhere nearby, chickadees darting between the branches of the crabapple trees, and to our puppy's delight, even a few squirrels bouncing across the grass, having decided it was warm enough to come out of hiding to search for a little more food before winter descended in full force. One house, however, had not gotten the memo about this morning of peaceful Christmas afterglow. As I passed the front door open and I heard sounds of someone inside struggling to carry out something large and awkward, and then I saw that this guy was hefting a Christmas tree out to the curb at 8.30 in the morning, barely two days after Christmas. Wow, I thought he certainly wasn't wasting any time. Seemed like kind of a scroogey thing to do. Just minutes before, I had been sitting by our own tree, awash in its twinkling lights, and the nostalgia of the ornaments we inherited from my husband's parents. My heart warmed with the idea that later that morning I might be snuggling in that same spot with my 10-year-old as we read another chapter or two of Harry Potter. My nose even filled with the scent of cinnamon from the coffee cake I had put in the oven for a post-Christmas brunch. And then there's this guy his tree already stripped and bagged for the dump. What did he have against lingering in the cozy leftover magic of Christmas? I feel a bit like that when I read the first chapter of Mark's Gospel. Mark doesn't waste any time on Christmas. He doesn't even mention the story of Jesus' birth. Bethlehem, manger, angelic choir, shepherds, the whole deal, none of it. Mark bypasses all those introductory niceties, and he jumps right to Jesus at age 30, on the cusp of his now famous public ministry. Never mind Mary and Joseph, Gabriel, Elizabeth. The first guy Mark introduces us to is John the Baptist, that eccentric preacher who set up his revival tent just outside of town. This fellow with clothes made of camel hair, probably an earring, dreadlocks, a few tattoos for good measure. He says that he's just the sidekick, only there to pave the way for the real hero, the hero everyone has been waiting for, and he preaches repentance and some mumbo-jumbo about the Holy Spirit or something, and then the real deal Jesus comes along, and he's just another face in the crowd. Like Pastor Steve said last week, this is not what John expected. This is not what anyone expected. And then, even more unexpected, as soon as Jesus steps out a bit into the limelight, 
No sooner than heaven itself rips open to make way for the Holy Spirit and the literal voice of God, Jesus is whisked away by the Spirit where he's alone in the desert, exposed and vulnerable to the elements and the wild animals and the wiles of the evil one. And this supposedly all-powerful king won't even make himself some food when he's hungry or take his proper place at the head of the world's kingdoms when it's within arm's length. Instead, Jesus responds to that bully Satan with something that sounds a bit like sticks and stones may break my bones. He meekly quotes a bunch of Bible verses that he might have memorized in synagogue seminary and waits for Satan to leave him alone. When that finally happens, after more than a month of Satan tormenting him, it's time for Jesus to take this thing public. But instead of heading to Jerusalem, the religious center of the universe, the obvious place for public ministry, he makes his way to this backwater region of Galilee, a good 80 miles and light years removed from the grand temples and synods of the religion that has been studying and predicting and anticipating for his arrival for dozens of decades. And then Jesus starts sounding a lot like crazy John the Baptist, preaching repentance and some mumbo-jumbo about the kingdom of God coming near. And even more embarrassing, hanging out with smelly fishermen who had probably failed out of their synagogue classes by the age of 10, or more likely skipped out on them altogether, because what did some ancient prophets have to say about scraping together a living on a fishing boat? These are the guys he wants for his students, his disciples, his closest companions. Galilee is definitely not the place people would be looking for a great teacher, much less the promised Messiah. This is not what anyone expected. None of this makes any sense. In the space of just 20 verses, Mark has thrown us into the deep end, leaving our heads spinning. What on earth just happened? Where did this Jesus even come from? Good grief, Mark. Couldn't you at least ease us into the story with a picturesque nativity scene like Matthew and Luke? Or even like John maybe set the stage with a bit of eloquent theological poetry first? Can't you just let us linger in the Christmas afterglow a little longer? Our gaze fixed upon the swaddled baby, no crying he makes, the cattle lowing nearby with just the right amount of background noise to be a lullaby. I think that no one would blame us this year. Really, any year for that matter, but this past year was one for the Murphy's Law record books, wasn't it? No one would blame us for wanting to linger in the comfort of the twinkling lights and the storybook nativity even if they are simply a bit of artificial veneer on reality. Escaping the reality of a world enveloped in a pandemic doesn't sound like a bad thing. And hanging back by the manger allows us to ignore the fact that this is a world where King Herod had all the little baby boys in Bethlehem killed. A world where refugees flee for their lives to Egypt, or perhaps to the United States. A world where unmarried pregnant girls fear for their future and the future of their unborn babies. A world where harsh deserts of temptation exist. 
a world where people struggle to scrape together a living wage, a world where religious bigwigs plot to take down those who threaten their power. If we really think that this Jesus Mark introduces us to doesn't make any sense, perhaps just because we've settled for the artificial veneer of cozy Christmas illusions. That's why we need guys like Mark, who say, let's go already, who urge us to get on with the story, who cut to the chase and show us that the whole point of the Christmas story is what happened after the manger. Mercifully, Mark has a message for those of us who live in the real world. The good news for us is that Jesus is the Messiah who gives us something more than warm fuzzies. Jesus is the king we all need rather than the one we expected. Jesus is the son of God who makes no sense to us. The good news is that Jesus came down and came near when he was placed in that manger and that the rest of his life was just a continuation on that theme. He descended from heaven and then lowered himself into the waters of the Jordan to be baptized among sinners and then braved the wilderness that leaves all of us exposed and vulnerable and then went to find us slogging it out in Podunkville, Galilee and then kept going down and down until he hit the rock bottom of the grave. The real business of the good news is that Jesus didn't come near to us just to be nice. He came near to get his hands dirty, to tangle with the evil that has broken us in our world. Jesus came near not to insulate himself in the grand palaces of the world's kingdoms or the corner offices of the religious authorities, but to meet us in the wilderness, to find us in the insignificant places. Jesus is the good news that finds us in the emptiness of the socially distant funeral home or the loneliness of the isolated dorm room or behind the smiling facade of our computer screen personas. Jesus is the good news who dares to enter the dark and desolate places. Meeting us in those places is what coming down and coming near was all about but it gets better yet. Jesus not only meets us in those places, but he extends his hand and walks with us and redeems those places by saying, let's go bring this good news together. Like the Jesus Storybook Bible said, the people God uses don't have to know a lot or have a lot of things. They just have to need him a lot. Hasn't the past year taught us that we all need him a lot? That we need each other? That we need some light breaking through the darkness? In walking out of the river of baptism and through the wilderness and on the back roads of Galilee and into the alleyways of Jerusalem and along the path to Golgotha, Jesus illustrated for us what coming near looks like and how we can do it too. Jesus showed us how the coming near penetrates the darkness with something more lasting than twinkle lights. Jesus showed us, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1, how the foolishness of God is stronger, the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, 
and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Jesus showed us how his nonsense would change us and change the world. Back at the end of March, when we were just beginning to realize that this virus was going to change our routines for more than just a couple weeks, I stumbled across a social media project that started with a tweet by actor John Krasinski, who's probably best known for his role as Jim Halpert in the TV sitcom The Office. All right, everybody, he tweeted, how about some good news? Send me the stories that have made you feel good this week or the things that made you smile. The tweet generated more than 3,000 responses. A couple celebrating their 20th anniversary whose daughters created a romantic backyard restaurant when their plans to go out were canceled. A video of a baby taking her first steps. A small business barraged with online orders when news spread that they might have to close because of the shutdown. First responders receiving boxes and bags of homemade masks from strangers. Schools organizing to provide free meals. Grocery deliveries to a quarantined co-worker. An elderly man meeting his great-grandson for the first time through his nursing home window. A teenage girl coming home from her last chemo treatment, greeted by a parade of cheering family and friends. Krasinski was inspired to turn these stories into a YouTube news show called, appropriately, Some Good News, which turned into eight weekly episodes and an ongoing social media presence that continues to post stories on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Krasinski, who hosted the show, introduced the ep first episode like this. Through all the anxiety, through all the confusion, all the isolation, and all the Tiger King, Somehow, the human spirit still found a way to break through and blow us all away. And he signed off each episode with these words, asking you to remember that no matter how hard things get, there is always good in the world. And funny, all that good news made Krasinski start sounding dangerously like a theologian. For the holidays, the show produced a special ninth episode. And Krasinski's typical sign-off phrase had changed. Looking into the camera, he said, the next time you're looking for some good news, just remember, you are the good news. Whether or not he realized it, I think Krasinski hit on the gospel. The good news is in our coming near to each other. Good news happened through the one who came down and good news continues to happen when we follow his lead, when we see the dark and broken places and descend into them, bringing light and healing. We have miraculously been invited to participate in everything that Jesus did. His baptism, his death and resurrection, and his life. He has taken us by the hand, and what else is there to do but drop our nets and join him in bringing the good news into this world. When we experience the truth of the gospel through each other, we are afforded a glimpse of the light of the world. Like John the Baptist, we point the way to the real deal, the one who says, in me and through me in you, the kingdom of heaven has come near.
the one who promises that one day his light will not only penetrate the darkness, but banish it altogether. Let's pray together. Lord God, sometimes it is difficult to see the light. Sometimes we feel as though um, we've entered the wilderness and you are nowhere to be found. Help us to remember that you have joined us there, that you have gone there first, that you have conquered everything we wish we could conquer, and that you have invited us to join you in bringing your light to this world. We thank you for that privilege, and we pray that you will help us to do that well. We pray all these things in your glorious name. Amen.